we recording? We are recording. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to episode two of Creepy History. Welcome. We are very excited that you are listening with us. We, we're a little shocked ourselves that we pulled it together to do episode two. We weren't sure uh, if we were going to be able to pull it off, but we did. So very celebratory night for, for two shows. Absolutely. <laughs> episode two feels like it feels like sort of more momentous than episode one in a way, right? Because like you do it, yeah. but then do you come back to it and do it again? Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, do you have like to sit down and like create two new stories and like go through and get your feedback yeah. and like make the tweaks and like all that kind of stuff? I feel like, yeah. We're, we're excited about it. Absolutely. So if you have not had a chance to listen to Creepy History Episode 1, we highly recommend that you do so. But if you have not yet, uh, the idea behind this is this is an opportunity. Oh, we didn't even say our names. Oh, oh, oh we're so unprofessional. Man. All right. I'm Fraser Coffeen. I'm Jennifer Coffeen. Yes. Sorry uh, about that. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. So, See, we think we've, this is our second episode. We feel like everybody should know us already. Yeah, we're, we're, old, we're old pals at this point. So the idea is that we wanted to just share creepy stories. Stories. Share them with yeah. each other. Share them with you. Um, creepy defined as we kind of think creepy should be defined. Whatever. And then his stories that we make, make us sort of shivery or disturbed yeah. or be like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we want. The what? <laughs> what? That's, <laughs> what? That's what we're hoping for. What is that? We hope you guys will do that too we're as you listen. That. We're looking for that. And we are also trying to out creep each other. So we are quarantining. Um, we're both working from home, um, sort of, you're not so much anymore, but, uh, you know, kind of, (laughs) we have kids, we've been inside a lot and we are looking to, um, yeah, share stories with each other and teach each other some new stories that we have, that we didn't know before. Yep. So that's the plan and history. Anything before we were alive qualifies as history as far as we're concerned. So that's our plan. We're not going to tell you our ages. You're just going to have to guess, but we will say, um, it has to be pre 1980s. So it's sort of telling you our ages, but not quite. That's true. <laughs> mine, mine is definitely history, history at this point, at least we haven't come, we haven't even come close to it just yet, though. I don't know what you're doing. We don't know what each other are doing. So we'll find out That's right. in the course of this We have no one. idea what story the other person is telling. Um, I'm going to go first tonight. and uh, but for, Oh, so, yeah, you want to tell about your cocktail? Yeah, well, yes. So we have two things. We have a creepy cocktail. But even before that, I have some follow-up from something last Ooh, week. Ooh, share. So, so last week, uh, again, check it out. Um, but we talked about uh, two stories. I talked about Charlotte Corday and the French Revolution. Jen, you talked about uh, the, uh, the Waterloo teeth. Oh, Waterloo teeth, yeah. It's good stuff. So one of the things that we talked about last week uh, was the Duke of Wellington, right, involved in Waterloo. Correct. And the question of if Beef Wellington was named after him, and I did not know. Yes. And I looked it up. Oh. And I have to admit, as I thought about it more afterwards, I was skeptical because I was like, well, it's probably named after, like, Wellington, like a place that this Duke, uh, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, like he is the Duke of Wellington. Right, and there's also this beef. I don't know. So I looked it up. Wellingtons are also boots. That's true, like wellies. Wellies, yes. So I looked it up, and here's what I found. All right, I'm ready. This is this comes from GordonRamseyRestaurants.com, and if I can't trust Gordon Ramsay, who can you trust? I know. Here's what it says. Ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Quote: It is generally agreed that the dish, beef Wellington, was created in celebration of the first Duke of Wellington and his victory at the Battle of Waterloo. What? Not only was it created. First of all, can I just ask? And this might make me sound stupid. What is beef Wellington? <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, uh, like a steak wrapped in like a pastry with like a gravy. Oh, gross! Have you ever had it before? I mean, I think that I've had like I, I feel like I've had like 
weird. It sounds like the kind of thing that like it's you would like, get in a you know like a freezer and like get like yeah, a microwave yeah. version for dinner when you're like, oh, this is fancy. See, I'm saying gross because I'm not thinking of like Gordon Ramsay making it at a restaurant. I'm sure like it's delicious. Lovely English tavern. I'm right. thinking of like your mom or my mom like pulling it out of the freezer. They got it from Sam's Club. Like, right. Yes. Yes. Heat yes. it up. Like the gravy comes in a separate plastic little bag mm. that also goes in the microwave. So it's like roasting hot or frozen when you dump it on or, or a combo roasting hot with little frozen yeah, chunks frozen in chunks inside. yeah like there's peas in it for some reason and the peas yeah. are still frozen See, everything that would else be bad. is so hot yeah that's sh- what I envision but I'm sure if you ordered it for real it would be great yeah I'm sure it would be good because I mean basically it sounds like it's like a chicken pot pie but with beef and then also nothing else sure <laughs> sure that seems reasonable yeah just like a beef in a pastry which, I mean, if the pastry's really good and the beef's really good, I don't see how you're going wrong with that. It'd be good. Have they made it on the Great British Baking Show? They haven't, have they? I don't think so. We've only watched a, a couple true. of seasons. But so. it seems like they should. Hey, if you have had Beef Wellington or know someone who's had Beef Wellington or would like to share a story, please let us know on social media. I would be really intrigued about how people, if they like it, where you can get great Beef Wellington, that type of thing. Awesome. Let us know. There you go. Yeah. All right. You want a cocktail? Oh, uh, oh, hold on. I I also have a follow-up. Yeah, look at that. Okay, so this, I just, I didn't search, like, seek out this story, um, and but, so my last thing, uh, I can't even talk tonight, and I, I haven't even had a creepy cocktail. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Um, last week's episode was Battle of Waterloo, and we talked about a lot about Napoleon Bonaparte. So as I was researching the story that I'm doing tonight, I came upon some interesting information. I just sort of stumbled upon more information about uh, the Bonaparte family. Um, so Josephine Bonaparte. Who is that? Napoleon's wife. Got you didn't it. know who that was? No. Really? Yes. Oh, man. Fraser. Sorry. Everybody should know that. That's his wife. Napoleon's mm, wife. Okay. The Empress Josephine? Sure. No? Nothing? Nothing. All right. I'm shocked. Okay. You got a lot better schooling than I did. I'm just going to say that. Okay. So, um, Josephine Bonaparte was the, the wife, first wife of Napoleon. Um, when he proclaimed, proclaimed himself emperor in 1804, she became the empress of the French. So, she was born on, I don't want to give away my story yet, but she was born on the island um, of, Mar- is it Martinique? Am I Martinique. Martinique, yes. Yes. In the Caribbean. So, it was a sugarcane plantation, and she was the daughter of a French aristocrat. She lived there till she was 15 and then moved to Paris in 1779, and then she met Napoleon, and they were married in, like, 1796. Um, very So, anyway, um, but, so, the interesting thing, so, the, my, the story that I'm talking about tonight is set on that island of Martinique, and her statue, after she passed away in 1814, Napoleon commissioned a statue of Josephine uh, on the island where she was born and had, like, lived till she was 15. Sure. So that statue is not a favorite of the island. Oh. Um, yeah, in 1991, a group of people beheaded the statue of Josephine, the Empress of the French, in a symbolic, I love this, symbolic execution and splattered it with red paint. So you talked quite a lot oh, about yes. beheadings sure. as well. So still happening to the statues they love in, them. in the 90s. Yeah. And then, um, again, this is from, um, oh man, I lost the thing, Atlas. Okay. Yeah. What's it called? Atlas Obscura, that Thank one? Thank you. Yeah. Atlas Obscura is where I'm getting this information. 
So they said it begged the question, why is Josephine so hated? Sure. Um, and it is because of the role that she and Napoleon both played in reinstating slavery into the French colonies. So France had abolished slavery in 1789, but less than 10 years later, when Napoleon and Josephine took over the throne of France, um, they reinstated slavery. And a lot of people believe that this was done because Martinique was a colony of France ah. and she want her family's sugarcane plantation was really struggling. It wasn't doing well financially and as we all know, making people uh, work for free um, definitely ups your your bottom line. Yeah. So they that's sort of the thought behind is like why they reinstated the slavery so it would help out her family's right. plantation in Martinique. And so, I mean, fair enough. I'm going to show you a really quick picture here. And we will also put this on our social media of um, Josephine's statue, Headless. Look at that. Whoa. <laughs> no, it's no joke, right? Dang. That is a head, guys, that is a headless statue with blood Slashed all over with it. blood. That is amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, I just lost it. Wow. Uh, here it is. Okay. Um, yeah. So just to give, paint the picture for you guys um, is is a picture of um, very, um, it's almost a Regency era yeah. attire, I would say. Like the Regency era gown, the sort of Jane Austen gown with like the puff sleeves, a little, she's like holding a little rose. Um, it was obviously probably a really lovely statue of Josephine. She's holding, um, what is that, like a plaque of yeah. Napoleon's head in her hand, which is hilarious because he obviously commissioned it. So he's like, make sure she's holding a picture yeah, of right, right. me in the statue. And then the head is just gone, and it's just like it's just like splashed, but the paint sort of like splashed strategically so it looks like it has been bled from yeah. red. Man. <laughs> it's no joke. Very, and apparently that's they, serious. They re they throw more paint on it like every year. Wow. Yeah. They're not they're not here to mess around. Good with stuff. Um, yeah. So All right. That is the story that I sort of stumbled upon. That's good stuff. Thanks. Thanks. So Let's have a cocktail. Let's have a creepy cocktail. A creepy cocktail. Okay, so today's creepy cocktail, uh, it relates to my story, so I can't give you the full deal with it just yet because my story is second to come. But I can tell you it is a more straightforward than last week's cocktail. This one is called a rusty nail. Oh, ooh. So here is here is your rusty nail. Okay. Chinging around in the glass this is there. not named after ching, the guy ching, ching, who used to run the uh, Music Box Horror Film nope, Festival. No, 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 probably not. <laughs> he's also maybe, named Rusty Nail. Maybe he made nails, I believe. Oh, maybe well, he, maybe he named himself after the drink. I don't Possibly. know. Possibly. But this is made of just two ingredients, uh, scotch and drambuie, oh, which is another kind of scotch. Razor. Yep. Here's, you're not going to be able to drink this? You're probably not going to be able to have too much of it. <laughs> Here's Drambouille, which I've never had before. It is the unique blend of aged scotch whiskey, spices, and heather honey. Wow. Here, have a smell. Have a smell. Right, I'm going to smell it. Oh, you know, it's not bad. No, it's nice, I, isn't I it? I smell the heather honey. Mm-hmm. Like, it has, like, a sort of a soft sweetness to it. I know. There's a little sweetness to it. I've never yeah, had it before. It's not quite as brash. Drambouille. I've heard of it. Like, I've heard it in things. So so there's a little bit of uncertainty when the rusty nail came about, but it's, you know, something like there's different... Do you, like, stir it with a rusty nail when oh, you make I did, it? Oh, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was it was either, like, like some reports say 1937, some say 1951, some say 1967... Seems like where it really started, yeah, it's all over the place. Where it started to really take off, though, was a place called the 21 Club in Manhattan in the early 60s, and it was big with the Rat Pack. They were big fans of the Rusty Nail. All right. So. What else? So it's Drambuie. It's Drambuie and Scotch, and then I poured that over ice. If you want to make it at home, uh, two parts Scotch, one part Drambuie. Two ounces, or you can do more or less, depending on how much 
rusty nail you want to consume. <laughs> uh, you mix them, you pour them over some ice, you ching your glass together, and you have a rusty All nail. Right, we're gonna ching. Ready? There you go. It's probably gonna be intense. Yeah. Oh man, that tastes like high school. <laughs> That's inappropriate. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. That tastes like college. Uh, that tastes like um, junior year of college. <laughs> junior year of college. Once you turn to twenty one. Oh, oh I like that. That's good. It's actually not bad. The sweetness from the Drambuie is quite delicious. I didn't even think I was going to be able to drink it, but the Drambuie does, it like softens the whiskey quite a lot. I would say that's probably a drink that you could have too many of mm-hmm. because it doesn't like, it doesn't like bowl you over with alcohol. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, there's a lot of alcohol. I mean, I couldn't have too many of these, but like if somebody was sort of a cocktail-y drinker, they yeah. could probably. Have I'm going to have one more sip. I'm going to have another sip too. All right, let's do it. We're sipping. Ooh. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, it's not that's bad. That's really good. I, I am shocked that I can drink it. So that's yeah. a thumbs up from me. All right. Um, we're also drinking out of our, I guess, wedding cups. <laughs> that makes it sound like it's our wedding goblets or something. That's not what they are. But uh, they were like cham- they were made from the champagne. Um, their glasses made from the champagne bottles from our wedding. Yes, the champagne glasses, champagne bottles from our wedding cool. turned into glasses that we still drink out of to this yeah. day. A gift from mom. Thanks, mom. They're very heavy. They feel very historic. Yes. In a way. Um, all right. Well done. Good cocktail. Thank you. Okay. I'm really now. I'm really intrigued to find out what your story is that connects with your cocktail. Um, but it's going to be good. We have to wait. But yeah. Okay. Are we all ready? Right. For, are we ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. I'm excited Let me to hear. Shuffle my papers here. Very entertaining for everybody. Um, While Jen's waiting and getting her books together, her, her papers together, I will say that. Uh, Part of her research involved a book from the library yes. that I had to pick up from her at the library. So I had to like sort of blindly take a book off the reserve shelf and make sure that I didn't look at what the name was or anything like that so that I wouldn't be spoiled. I'm really proud of this book. I'll actually just go ahead and say it um, up here when I uh, it's called Fire Mountain by Peter Morgan. So it was one of my references. Um but they had to, when I ordered it online at the library, you just like put it on hold or whatever, they had to get it from the vault. Um, which I, sometimes it says storage and sometimes it says vault. So I don't know if there is an actual vault or if they're just being funny. Um, but I, I was very proud of that. I just imagined somebody like, you know, opening like a trap door underneath the library and like going down like steep steps and it's very Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was saying, it feels very end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. They like, they have like, you know, they're they're carting through this. Yeah. yeah, And and then they have to like go and like pull it out of this huge box. And and like dust (laughs) goes off it. Yeah. Exactly. And I order, I get quite a lot of books from the storage slash vault of the library. I I don't know. I read really old stuff. So nice. All right. Um, All right. What do you got? Ready? All right. Okay. For my story tonight, we are going to do uh, the amazing story. I'm probably saying this name wrong, so I'm apologizing in advance. I I worked really hard on it. Um, Lugger Silbari? Yeah, sure. Is it Silbari? Silbari. Silbari? I want to say Silbaris, but that's not it. Lugger Silbari. I'm going to say Silbari, so I apologize if I was saying wrong. Um, The amazing story of Lugger Silbari and the eruption of Mount Pele. Ooh. Um, and then you have a note that says, I look up how to pronounce on your, on your notes. <laughs> and I'm, st- and I looked it up and I'm still going to pronounce nice. it incorrectly. You got it. Um, okay. So, uh, I'm really excited about it. Do you know the story at all? Not at all. Okay. I actually didn't know anything about it either. And then it, I just saw like a glimpse of it and I became really obsessed. Okay. Right, I'm excited. So here we go. 
So, Lugger Silbari was born June 1874 in Martinique in the Caribbean, which is a few miles north of St. Pierre. Um, So, this is an island uh, in the Caribbean that's owned by the French. At the time, it was a French colony. I believe it still is. Um, So, it's commonly believed that Lugger's birth name was of uh, either Augustus Sapari or Louis Augusti Sapari. I can't say any of these names. But... um, his actual birth record is sort of unknown. Um, yeah, so we're going to call him Lugger Sabai because that's the name he went by. Okay. Um, Sounds reasonable. He was a laborer in the capital city of St. Pierre, and this at the time was known as the Paris of the West Indies. Um, it was... Uh, it, so the ownership of these islands kind of flipped back and forth between the United Kingdom and France until 1815 when hostilities between the two world powers, like chilled out a little bit, which is very funny because that's what we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Always fighting. Okay, so St. Pierre lives in, um, they say it lives in the shadow of the volcano of Mount Pele, uh, which means bald mountain. So, um, yeah. Um, Mount Pele is an active volcano. It's on the north end of the island. And in the first week of May of 1902, the residents of St. Pierre started noticing some, like, weird activity from Mount Pele. Like, like, like it's going to explode while activity? I mean, I'm coming to it. It seems likely. I'm coming okay. to it. So right. we got to work our way up to that. Okay. Okay, so the first thing they sort of notice is there's um, small earthquakes and tremors, that, like, around the entire island. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of, like you know, rumblings and that sort of thing is kind of happening. And I don't think this was completely unusual. I think this sort of happened from time to time. Um, But it was, you know, there was a lot of it. Um, All right, you're going to, is it fumarolic activity? Sure. All right, I know, this is going to be way past my comfort zone in the pronunciation department. Fumarolic activity began. And that basically means that the, all right, you ready for this? The Earth's surface begins to open up and emit steam and volcanic gases. <laughs> so, like, there's, like, holes and fissures in the ground near the volcano, and they start, a, like, during the week leading up to this, and they start to, like, open up and, like, emit volcanic gas into the air, okay? This is just, like, happening around the island. I mean, this sounds like you got to go. you got to get it's out of really there. worrisome. Now, yeah. you have to remember that at this time... People had, there was no research on this. I mean, it, sure. you know, they're like, obviously now people, scientists study it and they sort of know what's, you know, these are the things that are leading up to, you know, what happened in the volcano. But I mean, nobody knew. This was 1902. But right, right. I feel like you would be like this, either something's going to happen with this volcano or like, it, it, oh, hell is coming. Right, right, right. You know, you know that there's something bad. You might really not understand bad. there's a volcano, <laughs> but you understand the earth is cracking like, open and steam is pouring out. On top of hell, like is this like you know one of those sort of like tunnels to hell? There is no way that any that there's any reason to stay. That's for sure. It's very, it's very worse. You okay. gotta go. So it gets worse. Okay, so there's all right. So right now we have um, we have little earthquakes, tremors around the island. We have holes sort of popping open on the island and steam coming out. The ground begins to swell beneath people's feet, and it starts to feel hot beneath their feet. So you're just walking around, and all of a sudden, you just move up like an inch, and it's like burning your feet. From the little earthquakes? From the ground. The ground's just swelling. It's just moving up. Question. Yes. <laughs> Did you specifically call them little earthquakes so that we could have a little Tori Amos shout out as I, part of this? I didn't, but I think that we should just pause for a moment and have a quick Tori Amos chat. 
So, do you have any Tori Amos stories? Uh, I have one. I saw Tori Amos in concert. Hey, me too. Give me five. And I've seen like Boom. seven concerts in my entire she life. She played at Northwestern in college. Oh, yep. I had was good. front row seats was very good. to Tori Amos back in the day. That's impressive. I did not listen to a lot of music that wasn't played for me. So, I mean, I certainly listened to a lot of music, but it was like my friends playing it. I had not a lot of musical opinions of my own. <laughs> I was sort of that person. I nice. did, but they were, it was like bad music nobody wanted to listen to. So, um, my friends were super into her. So I knew her stuff because obviously I'm like in cars with my friends. And then a good friend of mine, Christina, she and her boyfriend waited in line. Like I, it might've been all night or mm-hmm. like, I mean, it was, I think it was all night. Like it was intense. Like back when you used to do that to get tickets and I just like hung out at home. <laughs> and then just mooched off of their <laughs> dedication. Of their nice. So we got front row seats to Tori Amos, but That's she impressive. was pretty, she was pretty amazing. She was good. She was really good. I was never a huge fan, but I did listen to her from time to time. Yeah. I have an embarrassing story of hers, which is, which is that for, there was a period, I don't know how long this lasted, but there was a period my freshman year of college <laughs> where every morning I would wake up and decide that like the way to start my day no. was to listen to Happy Phantom from Little Earthquakes <laughs> to find song why if i if we if we could you know spend money on rights we could play it now but we can't because it's a peppy song it gets you going you just felt like that was what you needed for your yeah it's a pe- peppy song yeah. gets you gets your day started <laughs> what did your roommate think of that i can't imagine that he thought it was very exciting <laughs> like, oh, i never asked <laughs> <laughs> please please find out <laughs> let's see if we can dig up this roommate i would really like to know he, he like still tells that story today he's like god it's roommate he's like tori most every morning when he woke up <laughs> Tori Amos doesn't feel peppy to me, though. This one song it is peppy. This one peppy song. Yes. Okay. Happy Phantom. I'll have to listen to it. I'm pretty sure it's on. Know that one. I'm fairly confident it's on Little Earthquakes, I think. Okay. I probably only, I don't know. I think I only know it. I know the one about the cornflake girl. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. That one's, you know, it's not, it's not not peppy. It's not peppy, but it's like 90s peppy. 90s peppy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to listen to Tori Amos like, on my way to work tomorrow this now. This is as much pep as I can possibly sure. put forward because I'm living in the 90s. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Let's do this. We had a, a slight little earthquake Tori Amos digression there. Okay, so here we are. We're in St. Pierre in the Caribbean. The ground is opening up and swelling beneath our feet, and it's real scary. Okay, um, so... It's also emitting uh, vapors and ash from the volcano. So ash is like falling out of the volcano. People have seen this before. So um, people were concerned. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) Sure. But there was a lot of discussion about like whether it would erupt, whether they should evacuate. Because again, they've seen kind of some activity from it before. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, it reminds me of like, people in Florida with, like, the earth, I mean, the tornadoes and yeah, stuff, yeah. Or, or the hurricanes, where they're like, you know, oh, this happens every, you know, every three years, and I've seen, you know, and, like, it never actually, like, comes to anything. So, um, I'm sure back then, too, it, I mean, it wasn't easy. It's not like you, like, pack up your car and drive to the next town over and get a hotel. Like, where do you go? Right, it is You're an island. You're like, going to go somewhere and, like, well, I mean, you can get off the island, but, like, where are you going to stay? Yeah. Like, just sleep yeah. on the streets? Like, there's nowhere to go. I guess if you had family or something. Okay. Now here, you know, you start to worry about people. Um, So people had some plans for a picnic on the volcano. Apparently they enjoyed picnicking on on top of the volcano or near the volcano on the volcano Um, for three days before the eruption. And they canceled it. They canceled that picnic. Good. Because of the falling ash. Good. They felt like it's too much ash. It's going to get in our cheese. Like, we're just getting our wine. We're just going to take a breather. We're not going to go that day. So, you know, they were, they were 
being cautious. They decided not to picnic on the volcano. They decided not to picnic. And, Correct. And if you were to write a, uh, a history of our response to the uh, coronavirus <laughs> pandemic, you could do worse than picnicking on the volcano as a title. I'm just going to throw I that out there. I was going to say that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you just call it, like, they decided not to picnic on the volcano. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. There you I go. mean, is that, are we doing anything that different than just being, you know, guys, I'm going to cancel this volcano picnic. And that'll make and it fine. And that's going to be fine. And after that, we're going to be fine. It'll be good. Yeah. yeah. Everything's fine. Okay. Um, so, yeah. The fabulous residents of St. Pierre canceled their picnic on the volcano. They, um, you have to remember, too, there was little information on uh, what's, what was called, are you ready for this word? Volcanology. Nice. Sure. Which is the study of volcanoes. Um, and as we know, uh, people have a very difficult time thinking that the worst is coming. No one thinks it's going Indeed. to happen to you. Um, so some people did flee the city. Um, but local papers assured everyone that it was fine to stay home, that everything was safe. And local officials sort of seconded this. And they went so far as to start denying people permission to leave the island. So Ooh. I don't think that you were allowed to just take off. Um, I think that you either had to get permission or, like, you know, get tickets for a boat. I'm not sure how it worked. But they, start, they stopped allowing people to leave the island. Okay. Um, which is not. Nope, not right. good. Um, because of this concern, several thousand people from the countryside actually came to the city of St. Pierre to seek refuge. So people in the countryside, which I guess was maybe closer to the volcano, or maybe they were seeing more of activity out sure. there, they were like, you know what, we're feeling some concern here. We're not going to leave the island because either they won't let us or we don't feel like we have to, but we're going to actually go into the city to seek shelter, which was not the best choice. Mm. Okay. okay. So on the evening of May 7th, 1902, the citizens of St. Pierre were celebrating the Feast of Christ's Ascension into Heaven. Um, I'm not quite sure how the celebrations were, like, went on, if they, how they actually celebrated this holiday, if they went to church, if they had parades, they picnicked <laughs> on top of the volcano. Sure. There might have been a potluck with vanilla wafer pudding. I would hope um, so. Yeah. <laughs> we're not sure. With, like, ashes falling in it. They're like, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, but we do know that our friend Lugger Silbari celebrated the night of May 8th, um, drinking and fighting, like a whole lot. So <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate Christ's ascension in I, I don't, Yeah, that's no, right. what he was doing that night. Okay. So that evening, Lugger was arrested for drinking and fighting. Um, there's, it's possibly murder, but um, that's unable to be proven. Possibly knifing someone. We don't know if they survived or not. We don't know if there's an actual knifing. Um, this, you know, sort of all up in the air because there's obviously no records. Okay, um, all right. Yeah, but what we do know is that he was arrested and he was thrown into the island's jail. So the jail cell was a tiny stone cell. It was partially buried underground and it had like a small slit for a window. And if you give me one second... I'm going to look it up and show you because it's bananas. Here we go. Okay. Whoa. Wait, can you see it? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's still there. You can still go see this. You can still go see this. So here we go. Wow. Look at that. Okay. So you see the cell. So he was actually... It's like a... It's like a it's like a bomb shelter bunker. It does look like that, yes. It's completely made of stone. It's sort of like, what shape would you call that? Like, kind of, um, like, dome shape? Yeah, like, like yeah. a dome. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's completely, it's got, like, okay, now you can see, here's, like, the big part of it. We'll put these pictures on our uh, social media as well. And then I think down, I think down here is, like, where he was. So there's almost, like, a little 
box that's like see how it's underground oh that's creepy yeah, yeah. like this is above ground but i believe that he was like underground over here or something but, and like I mean, the little box oh yeah, terrible yeah that's really awful so uh there's a lot of speculation about like you know was he um some people say like he had been in there for like a month. Some people had said like you know he was in there like that was like solitary confinement because he was a murderer. Like you know it's very up in the air. Nobody actually knows precisely what he did to go in there and okay. how long he had been in there. But you know there's sort of different interpretations. But I believe we're gonna say it was the night up because that's more fun. Okay, so Silbari is in this um, sort of underground stone prison cell mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, he's hanging out there. Okay, so the next morning is May 8th, and a huge cloud of ash uh, fills the sky over the city. Which, I'm going to see if I can find a picture of that. Mm, not yet, okay. Oh, here we go. No, that's not right. Okay. All right. There we go. Oh, wow. That's the That's ash. a big explosion. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the ash so is it's like on. following. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, the ash cloud had a heat of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. This ash cloud, which is 2,000 degrees, okay, begins to fall on top of the city. Because it's like a monstrous, monstrous ash cloud. Monstrous. Okay. Mount Pele exploded. Um, I'm quoting here from, um, I believe, Atlas Obscura. Mount Pele exploded and a cloud of smoke darkened the sky for 50 miles around. A cloud of superheated volcanic gas and dust rolled out of the volcano at 100 miles per hour, destroying everything in eight mile radius. Within a single minute, the 1,075 degree pressure wave had flattened every building in the city of St. Pierre. Anyone unlucky enough to be in its way instantly caught fire and burned to death. Even those in shelters were suffocated as the wave of superheated gas burned up the oxygen and replaced it with deadly gases. People's lungs were burned from the inside by taking even a single breath. Nearly all 30,000 residents of the island were killed instantly and the city burned for days afterward. Oh, I believe this is from Vail magazine. Um, so this, it was wow. bad. Yeah. It was real bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Um, yeah. So uh, just imagine that. Like, it's so intensely fast. So a week leading up, you've got, like, you know, the earth opening up, the gas is emitting, you know, the earthquakes, that type of thing. And then that morning, this just, like, huge monster, like, ash cloud within the city. And, I mean, it happened within, like, minutes. Just, whoosh, gone. That's wild. City, gone. Yeah. Okay. So, there were some survivors, believe it or not. That is very surprising. Um, Yeah. So, there were three known survivors. One was a 10-year-old girl. Um, She was said to have seen the volcano beginning to erupt. So, I guess it was, like, right as it started rolling out or something. She's like, I'm out. Like, I've been telling everybody to get out. Smart, smart girl, yep. The ground is opening up, and now I'm out. So, she escaped by climbing into a boat. This is a 10-year-old girl climbing into a boat and rowing to a cave where she and her friends used to play pirates, which was obviously the coolest place to wow. play pirates in the world. Wow. Um, in her war- in her own words, she said, quoted, before I got there, I looked back and the whole side of the mountain, which was near the town, seemed to open and boil down on the screaming people. <sighs> I was burned a good deal by the stones and ash that came flying about the boat, but I got to the cave. So she was found unconscious in a burned and broken boat about two miles out to sea, but she did survive. Wow. Okay. So even though she moved away from the island, the ash is coming sure. in. The ash is so hot that it's just like, and the rock and like all yeah. that stuff spewing from the volcano is just burning her as it's falling on her. Man. Okay. Um, there was another man, Leon. 
Well, compare Leandra. There you go. Is said to have survived as well, um, but it's not. It's unclear sort of what happened with him. Um, again, not a lot of records going on. Uh, he was possibly in a house, but other people are like, yeah, I don't think that happened. But he was. They think he was either like he jumped or was blown into the ocean. He shows up um, over in the, the town of Fort de France, which I guess is like off the island or whatever. And they thought he was a madman when he first showed up because he was naked and like burned and like oh, obviously screaming and stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah. So he eventually apparently died from a fall, which is a real bummer. Oh, <laughs> I sad. know to have survived that. Okay. Our third survivor is Lugger Silvari. Um, so Lugger's... Because he's in the thing? He's in oh. the underground prison cell. So apparently this prison cell was the safest place on the island. He was entirely protect, protected from the deadly eruption. Um, he saw, so he says that he saw light coming through. So basically he's sort of underground and there's just like a slit through the stone and that's all the opening that there possibly is. Right. Um, so he sees the light, this like, you know, huge light from the volcano coming through the slit. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. He sees the light like from outside and it starts to grow dark. Right. And it's like morning and he's like, what's happening? So he starts to look out. Then all this, that super crazy hot ash starts flying in that little slit through the, little, oh, through the slit, right? Okay. Burning him. So he urinates on his clothes. <laughs> Why? What for what purpose? And stuffed them in the slit to try to stop oh, the heat from coming in. That's a pretty so fast it. thinking. I know. I would never think that. I'm impressed. Probably much easier for a man to go and that, do that. No, that's impressive. I know. Okay, all right. Right. I mean, he probably had some, I don't know. Oh, all right. Anyway. Um, Anyway, so he urinates on his clothes, and he starts to stuff it into the slit to try to, like, keep the heat out. And even with that, you know, little um, urine idea, the room's still heating. Because, I mean, he's in a stone yeah. room. It's an so oven. It's, it's, it's an oven. oven. Yeah, it's an oven. It's heating up. Yeah. It heats to 1,000 degrees. What? And he, was, he is horribly burnt. But he survives. Um, so as the city is, like, burning, um, and he just... Hang, like stays in there, he can't get out, and he just like sits in there and waits. Um, his body completely covered in burns for rescue. He spent four days in there in wow. this like, burning hot stone prison uh, before people like a relief team came in. Um, and then the city like basically because also people wanted to come in and help, but they had to wait for the city to cool down. Sure, right. You, you can't, can't just, just go like, in. Yeah. yeah, you can't just go in there. So they, they wait about four days. It, the city kind of cools down. They come and a relief team comes in and they pull him out alive. Wow. Yeah. Because he was in this thing. It's just like Indiana Jones and the refrigerator that helps him <laughs> save the nuclear explosion. <laughs> I don't see how the, it's any different. Exactly, <laughs> it's the exactly the same. It's exactly the same. I have managed to block out most of that movie, but that, that part did stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's in the refrigerator. It's never going anywhere. Um, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> exactly what it is. Uh, okay, so Silvari so survives. They pull him out. Wow. Um, so after he survives the volcano, they uh, they do pardon him for his crimes. Oh, that's good. That's nice of them. <laughs> Which I feel like is, you know, that seems fair. Um, so what happens to him? He is then hired to tour America with Barnum and Bailey Circus. Oh, sure. In the freak show. Sure. Yep. And um, that is somewhere of uh, where the information I got was from Fire Mountain, uh, the Peter Morgan book, which has a lot. Because at first when I was doing all this research, I'm like, I want more research about the circus days. Like, yeah, time right. I couldn't find any. But then uh, Fire Mountain tells quite a lot about that. So I'll show you some pictures in a sec. So I really do love, though, that 
after this happens, America is like, bring him over. Yeah. <laughs> like, we want this guy. We want the story. All of it. P.T. Barnum knew. He, yeah. he knows, he yeah. knows, he knows how to make money. We're putting this yep. in the circus. We're touring it around. It's good stuff. So the Mount Pele explosion obviously was like huge news uh everybody you know everybody knew about it it was like world news that kind of stuff and then when Silbari um so after he was rescued he went obviously to the hospital and while he was in the hospital um a photographer took this picture that I'm going to show you right here wow like snapped a picture of him which kind of shows so interesting yeah yeah. burns so his entire body was burned his face was not not so much no um, so he, ha- you know, you can kind of see like the scarring and stuff like that. So this kind of really made him famous. He became a very, you know, like an instant name. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, obviously there were three survivors, but the other two, I think kind of got lost and he was somebody who, you know, it's picture, like, you know, they interviewed him, like that kind of thing. So he was very known. So, um, I believe it was Bailey, um, who was the one who would like recruit people for the circus. He... You know, we don't know the exact story, but, like, obviously he heard about this. He heard about the thing. He, he wanted that story in his um, his circus. So he um, Silvari was part of the the freak show, um, the, the sort of the ten dime, like, mm-hmm, you know, the mm-hmm. ten in the one. The ten in one, yeah, yes. exactly. Uh, okay, so he goes, he joins the Barnum and Bailey Circus to tell the story of this sort of, you know, living through this horrific event. He became as a celebrity. He was known as the man who lived through Doomsday. And uh, the most marvelous man in the world. Wow. Yeah. He was, interestingly, the first black man to star in Barnum and Bailey's Greatest Show on Earth, um, which in the early 1900s was still a segregated show. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Um, So I'm going to show you a couple pictures here. So there's some really interesting stuff. So here is, um, so Barnum and Bailey Circus at this time was, uh, it had taken like a hiatus and then they were they were sort of like get gearing up in like 1902 1903 like this time period to start like another tour like a huge like 5 month you know like this mm-hmm. big american tour starting i think they believe they started in new york in madison square garden for like a 5 weeks residency it's going to be a big deal so this is um, like the quote unquote freak show uh, picture here and then you can see Silbari is right there in the corner Wow. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty intense. So um, if you're really interested by this story and you want to read more about this, called Fire Mountain by Peter Morgan. He really goes into detail here about, um, you know, the circus and sort of, you know, breaking it down and stuff like that, I think, from all his research um, and what it was kind of like for him, Silbari. And then here you see there's another photo that we have of him and it's interesting because we're like what's happening in this weird photo yeah he's like, dressed in like a dress he's dressing it's, it's like, like yeah, yeah like a grecian sort of gowny yeah. type thing where it's like wrapped around him in some sort of really bizarre way so um they did some research on this and they sort of found out that um so they would move from town to town doing these shows and at the begin in the morning before every show they had a parade in the town sure and this was kind of a, you know to show off you know, and I think the, the freak show was like a huge part of this. Like, and then they would all dress in like weird costumes. So I believe that that's what he's doing. He this is for the parade. Okay. Uh, and then they would do two shows. They would do the parade in the morning, and then they had a show at two and a show at eight. Uh, and then they would like pack up and move on. I mean, it was really really intense. So I there is not a lot that we know. He um, passed away in uh, Silvari passed away in 1929. Um. 
the town of St. Pierre never recovered from the devastation. Um, it, the population is only a few thousand people today. You can still go and see the jail cell. It's still there. Um, and then Silvari died of natural causes in, in 1929, as I said. And I really hope that he was, like, rich and happy because... I bet uh, I bet Barnum didn't pay him a whole lot. I know, I know. I th- yeah, it was probably it was probably not great. Um, and then I just wow. want to show you one more thing. So this is the poster um, of. Let's see. Sorry, I shall find it. Can you chat for a second? <laughs> oh, here we go. This is the poster, the Barnum and Bailey poster of. Silvari. And again, he was the most marvelous. You can purchase this poster. Oh, I've seen this poster. Have you? Yes. Okay. Barnum and Bailey. Yes. This is, I have, I don't know where I've seen this poster, but I have seen yeah. this poster. Um, so it's like, it's got like a volcano yeah. in the background and then it's got like Silvari and his sort of like, he's wearing this costume, yeah. straw hat and like a button down shirt and white pants. Fascinating. And, uh, and then there's like a picture of, you know, them like rescuing him. But the only living object that survived in the silent city of death, where 40,000 human beings were suffocated, burned, or buried by one belching blast of Mount Pele's terrible volcanic eruption. I mean, come on. That's good stuff. That is some good stuff. Oh, and, amazing. Yeah. And um, that's his, uh, it's from 1903. All right. Norman Bailey Circus poster. So, yeah, that is the story of Lunger Silbari, which I may or may not have mispronounced his name. That's all right. But... <clears throat> Nuts, right? That's crazy. That's good stuff. Really, cheers, really cheers to Lidgar. Yeah. And his and his yeah, survival. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, that's the thing that really got me about that story is um I guess some similar to the Waterloo thing where it's just like this enormous amount of people just like whoosh gone in an instant. Right. You know? Right. Um obviously I guess living through a pandemic, you know, you think about those things. <laughs> Interesting you say that. Hold on to that thought Ooh. because at some point we're going to have a similar kind of conversation in my story. Oh, dang. So just you wait. All right. See, our brains are really like they're connecting. Um, anyway, so yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks. Nicely done. So, kudos for that one. That was a good one. Thank you. It was really, it was really fun. It was very outside. It was like a brand new thing for me nice. to research. I like it. I didn't know it. All right. Uh, my story is also one that I did not know about. I sort of was poking around online and stumbled across this, and I thought it was very interesting. Excellent. Um, so, uh, the the title of mine. Do you want to give it a title? Well, because so let's go back to your drinking. I, I will. I'm going to tell you the okay. title, and then gotcha, it'll come gotcha. in. I'm jumping ahead. It is the Cave Dwellers of Wick. Whoa, Wick Scotland? Wick Scotland. So the drink, the reason I selected the Rusty Nail as our drink is because it's a very Scottish drink. You know, yeah, it's yeah, Scotch yeah. and Drambui is a uh, is a, a very Scotch liqueur. So I, I wanted to go for a real Scottish kind of drink. So you know I've been to Wick, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I had that picture. But have you been to the cave? I guess I didn't. I just went, I went well, to Castle, I'm going to say it again wrong, Castle Grinico and Castle Sinclair. I'm this like, is um, unfortunate that you missed, missed the cave? A, key, a key thing here. 
There's a crazy cave. Let me tell you a little bit about the cave. I'm really excited about this. I can't believe I don't know this. I know. This is sad that you missed this. All right. Um, uh, Sources here. um, I got this from good old Wikipedia, um, an article in The Scotsman by Allison Campsey, an article in True Highlands by Catherine Bentley, and an article in The Northern Scot by Chris Sanderson. So thank you to all of them. Um, So, uh, Wick. Jen knows this, but for those of you who have not been to Fairwick, um, this is a town in way northern Scotland, way up there, near uh, in Caithness in northern Scotland. At the very top. Very top. Um, it's on the east side of Scotland, so um, facing the, the North Sea over there, facing, you know, looking out into the North Sea and across, if you could see across, you'd be looking at Norway. To give you a, a sort of geographic. Oh yeah, bet. I guess you would. Yeah, it's up there. Yeah. Um, it's amazing when you look at it. When you look at it on a map, the nearby towns like this is how how northern Scotland you are. The nearby towns have names like Kilmster, Upper Camster, and my favorite John O'Groats. Oh sure. Yeah, <laughs> these are the these are the towns nearby Wick. <laughs> Just from Upper Camster, came down to Wick. Yeah. Um, Population in the last census was six thousand nine hundred and fifty-four. So there, there, there you have it. That's Wick. So, uh, so our story um, is sort of deals with people who were living there uh, in the around turn of the century. So uh, the year eighteen eighty-six. Okay. Uh, this gentleman comes to Wick, and this guy is named Dr. Arthur Mitchell. Is he carrying, like, a doctor bag? I sort of envision him carrying, like, a, yeah, carrying a bag. and Yeah, certainly, like, a hat and, like, a, you know, a a sturdy coat, you know, and coming in. Um, He's a physician. Okay. And his specialty is mental illness, which is not a super common thing at that time, right? They were, like, uh, more bloodletting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hysterical women and bloodletting, that's the thing. How are we going to deal with this? Yes, these these are the things to do. So, yeah, no, he's, he's actually one of the earlier people who really he, he's um, he's you know sort of significant in pushing forward the idea of mental illness oh, is wow. a, a pretty early figure in the his, history of it and he had the amazing title at the time that he was and listen to this this was his official title his dr. Arthur Mitchell deputy commissioner of lunacy for the general board of lunacy for Scotland oh, that's amazing. <laughs> did he give himself that title or did someone give it to him well I think there's a general board of lunacy and he's okay. the deputy commissioner like, of lunacy yeah so he's like I don't know what to tell you guys this is the board and I am the deputy commissioner of the lunacy I know wow I mean that is a title that's a title think of how long your card it's a big be. card one more one, one more time Hi, I'm Dr. Arthur Mitchell, Deputy Commissioner of Lunacy for the General Board of Lunacy for Scotland. (laughs) Bold. That's good stuff. Now, I don't know exactly what brought him to Wick, if he was sort of tipped off that this was a thing that he had to check out. It was a little bit unclear. But he goes to Wick. the sea called him. Just called by the sea. I have to come check this out. (laughs) He goes to Wick um, in order to, uh, and, and does some, you know, studying of mental illness. And one of the things that he finds there is this cave called Tinker's Cave. And it is a cave that is located right there on Wick Bay, which is, you know, a bay with, like, the North Sea right there. You know, it's like a cave basically at the edge of the North Sea. It's, like, right there. Why did I not see the cave? It's got to be cold. I mean, you're on the North Sea. Well, I was up. I was like super up on the cliffs. So is the cave like down? It's like then? it's like at like sea level. Oh, okay, that's obviously. It's like right. it's like down so where I, the water how is. How do you even get down there? 
Uh, we walk down the rocks very carefully, I guess. I don't oh, know. Oh, it's crazy high. I, I don't know. It's, it's, on Wick, it's on Wick Bay. Okay. Tinker's Cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and he finds in Tinker's Cave an entire self-sustained community of people living in this cave. Again, this is 1886. Wow. How many people? Um, like, like 30. How big is the cave? Not very big. Not very big. Did they come out of the cave? So they were, so the reason that it's called Tinker's Cave is because they're tinkers. They're, they're tin makers. And okay. so they would like, you know, come to like town and like sell their tin oh, okay. wares and then go back to the cave. Um, sort of, it's sort of, they're, they're commonly thought of as gypsies, but from a strict um, sort of uh, heritage standpoint, they actually are not gypsies. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yes, they're, they're people living, they're, they're living in this cave, they're plying their trade, they're going into town, they're coming back to their cave. A couple different families, but a whole like self-sustained sustained community there. Wow, do they have really, really good skin? <laughs> no. No? Why would they? Well, they're they're like... living in a cave <laughs> on the North Sea. Yes, yes, I see it now. I guess I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that, like no sunlight, you know what I mean? Why would that make you have good skin either? Cause, well, because you're like you're not getting the wrinkles, but I guess the sea salt. Oh, oh and goodness, the no! Cave sludge is <laughs> yeah. getting you the wrinkles. Yeah, yeah, I, I see it now. Okay, never mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so, so they're there. And again, the thing that I think is fascinating about this is this is, you know, this is 1886. We yeah. don't really think of people living in caves yeah. in 1886, yeah. right? Because there's a town like right up there. Right, right. Um, so he gets there. Um, now there's, there's, there are different reports about, about kind of what, uh, what he encounters there. And as I think is not surprising, there's, there's a degree of sort of, um, you know, classicism that goes with his reports, right? So sometimes the reports of the people there um, are very sort of looking down on them. So wait, and what other you're times telling not. me is, is a fancy doctor, director of lunacy, <laughs> yes. when he writes his reports, he's being snobby towards the cave. He indeed is, is snobby towards I'm the sh- cave tinkers. He, he says that he describes how they are largely naked, um, though then there's some other report that says that that I that I read that says like well, it, well he like he arrives at like nighttime like like shortly they're before sleeping. bed so they're, and they're not sleeping but they're getting ready for bed so yeah. like that's why they're anyway. Well, also it's freezing there. I don't like know. they can't they got to be having some clothes on. One would think. There's there's one there's there's a there's one person there who is dead having recently died from typhus. So there's that's, a body there. That's not that's good. Not that's not good. Um, and here's his here's his so quote. He shows up and they're naked and there's a dead body in the cave. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's not great. I don't know how I'd react. Here's his quote. He says he writes this. He says they were not strongly built, nor had they a look of vigorous bodily health. Their heads and faces were usually bad in form. Broken nose and scars were a common disfigurement and a revelation at the same time of the brutality of their lives. Oh man, Rob. Yeah. So it is. Uh, it, it is. It is. The word that keeps coming to my mind is weather beaten. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like really that, yeah. So Robert Louis, Louis Stevenson eventually uh, hears about this and he goes to visit this cave as well. Really? The cave dwellers of Wick become like a thing that some people go and see. Robert Louis Stevenson, the writer, lived from uh, 1850 to 1894. He goes and he writes about his experience as well. Uh, his two quotes, he was even more disdainful than Dr. Arthur Mitchell, commissioner of so Lunacy. So wait, what you're telling me is the, the, <laughs> the fancy snobby writer, snobby writer yep. you know, shows up to, to peer into the cave and isn't polite? He is not. <laughs> he says, Robert Louis Stevenson says, the men are always drunk. He underlines the word always in his notes. Always drunk, simply and truthfully, always. And he describes them as villainous looking fellows. Jeez. I mean, I'm sure Robert Louis Stevenson wasn't like, you know... Drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it's an interesting thing, right? It's so you, yeah, so you've got these 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 cave dwellers living here, and um, and again, they're they're getting visited by different folk. Robert Louis Stevenson, of course, would go on to write Treasure Island, which yeah. is about you know marooned people. Yeah. So it's interesting to think. I don't know where the Wick visit falls in with his writing of that. Is it mm-hmm. before? Is it after? But it's interesting. It's a theme, and of his, he has other books like that as well. Yeah. So it's a theme for him. But there is, you know, there's there's this sort of, you know, question about, you know, to what degree are they, um, you know, are they like a, a, a just fine family living normally? Or to what degree are they kind of, you know, cave people? Okay, we got to stop for a second. Like, when you say family. Like, there's at least three families living together. Okay, there's three families living together. So it's yes. not all one family. Correct. Okay. But you have to, I mean, that's still small. Like, are they, so I guess they're they're marrying and like. Yeah, you have to question that. That's a question. Know, is there some like inbreeding? It's a good question. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and even if there isn't now, I mean, there's, there's three, I mean, what's right. there? Like, who started it? Yeah, this is a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's a good question. It gives you, you know, gives you that, that nervous feeling. No, it does. It does. <laughs> like, no. So here's the interesting thing is that is that there's actually not a tremendous amount about these cave dwellers of Wick. You okay. know, there's not there's not a massive amount of history. Um, they weren't keeping notes in there? No, no. <laughs> what ultimately happened, we'll come back to what ultimately happened to them. But, uh, but in sort of, you know, looking into this and in sort of reading on this, I discovered that they are, though a famous story, far, far from the only story about this kind of thing happening in Scotland. There are, in fact, a ton of stories of people living in caves in Scotland long past the point that you think people were living in caves. Wow. Um, there's, uh, there was um, the article I mentioned, uh, the Northern Scot was one of my sources. There's an article in there about a woman named Fiona Lockhead who traces her genealogy of her great-grandmother. She's, you know, doing on, on that genealogy sure. kick that a lot of people get on, you know. Yeah. She's doing that. And she's able to trace her great-grandmother to a 1901 census in the town of Elgin, where it lists her great-grandmother's residence as, quote, in a rock or cave under Cove Sea Village. Wow. That's a list. Address. Yeah, that's listed in the census. She has, co- she has a cave address. Yeah, in a rock or cave <laughs> under she Cove Sea like Village. She has a little mailbox next to the cave. That's like where, the, but so there, yeah, so there's like, that's known that that's where this family lives. Wow. This family lives in that cave, that one, that cave over there. In 1901. Yeah. Way later than people are living in so caves. I have to wonder, like, what are they making like a house out of the cave? Or are they just like straight up like 
Not the cave people of Wick. They're just kind of in the cave. They've got yeah. some beds and stuff like that, but yeah, not much. Yeah, they're just like living off the land kind yeah. of thing. Like very rustic and yeah. they don't have like, you know, little parlor and kitchen. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> There's a couch in there. <laughs> it's crazy. So, wow. so, so you, anyway, there's a lot of these kinds of stories. So I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, we're going to leave the cave dwellers of Wick behind. Okay. Um, and I'm going to tell you four quick other caves that you can visit. If you want to do a tour of Scottish caves that people lived in, I which obviously you should. Yeah. What else are we doing in this pandemic? Here's, but going and doing this. Four quick, four quick little asides about All cave right. stories from Scotland. You ready? ready? So, number one, Spar Cave on the Isle of Skye. Uh-huh, I've been there. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, uh, there's a cave there. Sir Walter Scott writes a poem about how it's inhabited by a mermaid. Because um, Sir Walter Scott apparently likes to, like, go and hang out there. I don't know. And, like, see a mermaid. Is it, like, his girlfriend? I don't know. Like, his Isle of Skye girlfriend? It's unclear. It's unclear He's why like, he wrote this. his girlfriend. She lives on the Isle of Skye. She's a mermaid. Yeah. We have a cave together. We have a cave. <laughs> I write a poem about it. Um, it there's actually a, a, there's a story there that apparently that uh, the legend of that cave is that in the ninth century, the son of a chief of a rival clan was shipwrecked. Uh, right there on the Isle of Skye. He fell in love with the local princess, but mm-hmm. because they're from rival clans, they can't, you know, very Romeo and Juliet, right? Sure. But nonetheless, they have a baby, and they hide the baby in the cave and raise the baby in the cave. By itself? Apparently. And that's what and that's what leads Sir Walter Scott to write this mermaid poem. This, wow. This, the mermaid poem takes off to the point that this cave becomes such an, attra- an attraction, and the landowner who owns the land, like, around the cave... Um, it, the cave is much like you described with the um, with the one in Wick. It's like on uh, facing the sea. Okay. Um, so this guy, this landowner, like builds a wall and charges admission <laughs> because he doesn't because you know people are really into it. Yeah. Walter Scott, ref- that's that's my cave. Refuses to pay the admission sure. and uses a rope to climb the wall and go into the cave wow. to get around the guys charging. And I mean, was the mermaid supposed to be in there? No, I don't Just think so. Like I don't think out. you saw him. I don't think you got to see him. Wow. Uh, number two, in Fife, mm-hmm. there's a cave called called a Well Cave, which was used in in Samhain festivities long ago, Ooh. pagan stuff, for something called the Hansel Walk Procession. That sounds really scary. Real Highland stuff. I'm just going to read you the quote about this because this is this is some Scottish stuff right All here. Right. Get ready for this. Uh, it was this night that the fairy piper came to collect the dues owed by those who had neglected to make a sacrifice to the gods of the dead. Oh. The piper was a messenger from Tir Nan Og, who with his pibroch bewitched his followers and would lead the unwary into the land of eternal youth never to return. The participants of these torch-lit processions are immortalized with their initials carved into the walls of the inner chamber of the well cove. So it's like sacrifice, and they've got their names carved into the wall. Oh, my God. That's like a Blair Witch thing. Totally Blair Witchy. You know what I mean? Except it's like carved into the stone. Oh, that's so creepy. So I wonder, like, if you go to that well, are there, like, weird carvings in there? Yes. Yes. For real? Yes. You have a picture? No, I did not have a picture. All right, we'll look that up. Yeah. Good stuff, eh? No, I would scream. Two more. Forever if I saw that. I know. All right. The Court Cave. Uh-huh. 15th century, late 15th century, a cave inhabited by, uh, I think in this case, actual gypsies. Uh, I think you're supposed to say travelers. As a, as a <laughs> no, as a, like an actual, like... Well, yeah. Historical... 
I know. I'm not I sure. I don't know. That's a really good point. I, I apologize if I'm offending. But I know, historically, though, was that the original, you know what I mean? We should look it up. Hmm. I'm not In, sure about this. You, I know, because I agree. When you look, when you read, like, historical stuff, that's what they were. There's, okay, there's a, there's a boxer world champion named Tyson Fury who calls himself the Gypsy King because he says he comes from actual, and he, he not says, it's true. He comes uh-huh. from, like, gypsy background. He calls himself the Gypsy King. Okay. So, so is it the, so is I don't like know. A, but is that, so is there like an actual like, like blood, bloodline? bloodline connection? I think so. And so maybe if you're calling people that who aren't that, like that's what maybe that's like the you're problem. That, you yes, know. right. Like I think it's I think it's used now in a derogatory term. That's why they say like. But there is a correct way to but use it. I wonder if there is a correct way to use it. We're gonna look this up, you guys. Which is what I was saying about yeah. the first guy, where he was saying they're not actually gypsies, the people who are in Tinker's Cave. Correct. Because I think that's related right. to like people their are, heritage. Yeah. Okay. They, yes. It's a heritage I thing. I see. Okay. We're gonna look anyway. this up. Anyway, so there's this legend, which is this is weird, but uh, but I found it fascinating. The legend of King James the Fourth king in the late 15th century who apparently much like Aladdin liked to travel around incognito and just check out his check out his land it's like Aladdin sure you know <laughs> um or no not Aladdin Jasmine much like Jazz the princess oh Aladdin yes, is yes, this. yeah, yeah, yeah anyway Aladdin is the, yeah. yeah so so apparently there's this story about court cave uh where this is also on Fife by the way where he uh one night parties with these gypsies in a cave they recognize him and they're like oh that's the king we're gonna execute him and the way that they <laughs> We're going to kill him. And the way that they... Um, our moment. Yeah. The way that they show that they're going to kill him is that they bring him a plate with two daggers on it, <gasps> which is a symbol to be like, your time has come. Oh, my God. We're going to kill you with these daggers. So he's, like, just hanging out, partying, eating cheese. Yeah, and then they're like, and, and now would you like these daggers? And he just knows. Like, and he, he just knows. knows. Oh, my God. And you know what he does? He takes the daggers off the plate, kills the people in front of him, runs off into the night, gets his army, returns the next day, and kills them all. Wow. And a pair... Yeah, comes back. The 15th century. Kills them all. Wow. Slaughters them. Dang. I just love the idea of him, like, grabbing these knives and being like, ba Looking out of there. Yeah. Bold. Last one. Usually kings are not... I guess this was 15th century, but I always think of kings as, like... Super lazy and like. I, I think this guy was. Grapes. Yeah, he was like a yeah. I mean, like fighting king. 15th century. Yeah. So I think you did have to like really fight all the time. Last one Massacre Cave. Uh, <laughs> On Fife. Again, Fife. Sounds really bad. In it's Fife. It's called Massacre Cave. It's called Massacre Cave. Now, where it's a Fife. Is Fife located again? I don't know. I feel, I feel like I know it. Um, okay, we'll look it up. 16th century. We're heavy into the world of clan feuds here in Scotland, okay. um, and uh, one of the one of the feuds that was around this area was the McLeods versus the McDonalds. I'm not gonna lie to you; I know this because of romance novels. Sure, that's valid. <laughs> that's fair. I'm sure the historical accuracy is not great mm-hmm. in them, but it did give me, you know, my my beginnings. Many of you listeners probably watch uh, the Outlander series, which also delves into this world a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, so there they, you go. I, I believe Jamie Fraser, um, no relation to you. <laughs> that's actually not true, Jamie. Oh, no, it is a relation. 
that, that if Jamie well, were not re- real, <laughs> he's not real, but his clan that he is a part of is explicitly the same clan that I am a part of. So Jamie yeah. Fraser, were he real, would indeed be my relative. Yeah, it's important to know that Fraser's mother's maiden name is Fraser. Correct. So he is part of the Fraser clan, just, just so everybody knows. But um, I believe that in, I, I think it was the third book or something, he lives in a cave for a while. See? It's, it's a like big a thing. Year or something. It's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. So, okay, so this is the last one. Um, we're going to get so many Outlander people like, oh. what are you about? It's the fourth book. <laughs> <laughs> so, page 74. There's, a, there's an island called the Island of Eeg, where all, sure. all McDonald's live on the Island of Eeg. It's a McDonald's stronghold. Yep. So one day, they're hanging out there, and they see... Uh, coming over the over the waves, the McClouds oh, no. coming to ransack. They had been they had been feuding. The McClouds are coming, like through the, from the sea. From the sea, it's an island. It's a lot of time to prep, though. Well, it is, and so they so they have a plan. We see him like twelve hours later. Yeah, they're coming. <laughs> but apparently, there's more McClouds than there are McDonald's here mm-hmm. coming. So the McDonald's decide to hide in a cave behind a waterfall. That's their plan. They get everybody on the island. Literally, everyone yeah. on the island goes and hides behind a cave in a cave behind yeah, a waterfall. For, yeah, very much so. And they hide there for five days oh. until the McClouds find them. Oh, and they're all in the cave. And they're all in the cave, and they kill all of them. Four hundred people. Every single no. inhabitant of the island. Every person who lived on the island was a McDonald. Was in the cave. Wow. And got killed, all of them. Oh, that cave is so haunted. For centuries, centuries, the bones were just there. No, eventually in the twentieth century they were buried, but not that long ago. Only the twentieth century. Yeah, finally buried. So you can't see the bones there anymore. But yeah, they just left them there. Did people like go to the island and do stuff, or is the island just kind of left? No, no, it's back to being a place you can go. So people were just, like, you're just, like, a kid, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's the bone cave. <laughs> <laughs> it's Massacre Cave. It's got a name. Oh, my God. Anyway. It's so haunted, I know. Though, right? Totally haunted. Totally haunted. It's very haunted, for sure. Oh, jeez. So this all comes to an end, finally, in 1915, when... It's boarding up the caves. <laughs> They're like, you guys, like, you have to stop. Let's be done with this. We, well, put a, we put a door on the cave. Stop it. They pass this thing. The Scotland passes this thing called the Defense of the Realm Act um, because they're in the midst of World War I at the time. Uh-huh. And so they, they ban people living in caves because they don't want people to be having fires on the coastline, which would make uh, them okay. uh, susceptible to uh, attack during, during the war. Um, nonetheless... So that's in 1915. Nonetheless, two years later in 1917, they do a census, and that census has 55 people whose addresses are listed as caves. Those are people... <laughs> and those are people... Like, because you have to think that most of the people living in caves at that time, they're not on the radar. Like, they've... That's yeah. why you leave... That's why you live in the cave, because you want off the radar. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be part of society. But then... So 55 of those people are like, no, no, this is just my straight up address. Yeah, like that one lady. Like, who, who like yeah, this is this is where I live. Yeah, this is drop, my cave. Drop your cookies off here yeah. at the front door. Like, this is where I and live. And also we're bold enough to say that they're doing it even though it's illegal at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. They're like, this is my cave. This is where I live. Yeah. Wow. Go ahead and write my name down. Yeah. I wonder what the appeal is. 
just like you said, I think it's just being away. It's being removed. And, I mean, obviously there's a poverty issue here, right? Clearly, you yeah, know, it's course. people who are poor. Yeah. Right? People who just don't have anywhere to live. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the cave dwellers of Wick and the cave I dwellers of Scotland. I it's like a heritage thing, too. Like, I mean, if you grew up in the cave, you're just like, you live in a cave. Sure. You know? So right. It's like maybe it's just being like, just generations are handing it down. I think so. Probably those cave dweller kids yeah. in Wick probably continued to live there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're like, I'm upgrading to that cave next door. <laughs> I've had my eye on that cave for a while. <laughs> if, I can get, if I can get in there. That is insane story. That's way later... 1917, yeah, still 55 still people. Cave. Still, like, the address cave. Yeah. Like, this is where I live. Like, send your Christmas cards to my cave. Yep, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Oh, good stuff, Fraser. To the cave oh, dwellers of Wick. To the cave dwellers of Wick. And also, more importantly, perhaps, to <laughs> Dr. Arthur Mitchell, uh, yeah. Deputy Commissioner of Lunacy for the General Board of Lunacy for Scotland. Yeah. I just you. wanted to say his name one last yeah, time. His, his title. Have you heard? Um, we were probably about done here, but have you heard my Wick story? How I got super lost in Wick? No. Okay, so that you might have heard part of the story. Um, so I, we, yeah, when I was in Scotland the first time I went, I was up there by myself, and I was trying, I was trying to find something else, but I don't know. Somebody told me about these castles, Castle Sinclair and Castle Grinico, and they're like castle ruins, like right on the edge of the cliff in Wick. And um, I was like, I'm just going to go as far up into the east of this country as I possibly can get. I was, you know, I yeah. was young. I was in my 20s. I was in a real mood. So um, I get a bus from Inverness, like, I don't know, somewhere else. And, like, I basically I had to take, like, a, um, yeah, I think it was, like, a, I took a taxi. And they dropped me off on a dirt road. I am alone. And they're like, all right, just follow this, this path and you'll Man. find these castles. And I'm like, well, how do I get back? And they're like, so follow this path. And then the guy's like, you take like a left and then there's like, you just follow the cliffs and then you'll find like a road and you come back up. And then there's a bus that comes through that town. Um, like at, I don't know, four o'clock. Right. And the bus will take you back to like the other town and that, and then you can catch your train back to Inverness or whatever. So I'm like, okay, sweet. I just got to be at this bus stop at like four. I don't know. I was like, like noon or I have no idea right you know you're young you're like sure. how could this not work it's out? gonna be great it's gonna be great so I follow this path I find the castles I'm just like and that's the pictures that I have mm-hmm. like I have some, you know much pictures from those and I have the best time ever I mean there is not a soul out there I am the only one there's no noise unless there's people in the caves and you don't know there about was it. probably people beneath me in the caves see yeah like having a party and yes I, if only I'd known but they were really high up so, okay, so I finished, and I remember, like, watching the time, and I was like, okay, I have to walk back and get whatever, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, and you know me, I'm like, I'm, I'm daydreaming, I'm talking to myself, you know, I walk for a long time, I find nothing, no road, like, nothing, so at this point, I'm starting to get really concerned, and again, there's just nothing here, so I finally, I walk so far that I, I find, like, a little... I mean, like a street, and there's five houses on the street, and not, and I see like a, I think it was maybe like three or four workmen like working on the road. So I go up to them, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm trying to find this place, blah blah blah, you know, to catch this thing." And they're just like, "Oh, you walked five miles in the wrong direction." No. <laughs> so my face, because I'm just like, I don't know what to do. There's like one bus, I'm gonna miss it. So they're like, "Where are you going?" And I told them, and they're like, "Well, we're leaving. We'll give you a ride back." And I mean, it's one of those moments. 
especially even as my, you know, older now looking back where you're just like, I could have vanished off the face of the earth and yep, I yep. Mean, never to be seen again. No one knew where I was. Nobody knew I had gone up there like totally by yourself, like just never heard of again. Um, but they were lovely. They were really nice. They took me back. They told me the best chip shop to go to. Nice. Um, they told me like, all, you know, they, and they were really funny. They asked me, um, a lot about Florida. They were really into Florida. Sure. Wanted to know everything about it. And I was like, if, if you come to the States, I'm like, don't, you know, there's a lot of places. It's probably pretty different from Wick. Yeah. One would imagine. <laughs> it's really different from Wick. So, you know, this seems anyway, fair. That's my story. Nice. Wick. Good stuff. So, but I never saw the caves and I'm really bummed I'm sorry. Now. Well, we'll have to take a ca- yeah, Caves of Scotland trip. So, that was great. That was All good right. stuff. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. It. Hey, next week, uh, it's going to be getting close to the Halloween season. So yeah. we're going to be a little extra on the creepy, supernaturally kind of fun side. We'll see. We'll you know see. what's crazy is when I, I originally thought of this podcast, I was like, it's going to be all like murders and ghosts, right? Like, I mean, sure. I was like, creepy pot, like, that's what I wanted to creepy history, murders, ghosts. That's what I'm into. And I have not yet done any of that. And so I got to tell you, I have my story for next week, and it is murder. And ghosts. Nice. I'm so excited. I've got mine for next week, too. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. It's going to be good. All right. I'm really... All right. So next week, we will start um, our Halloween episodes. And yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us. We hope to see you again soon. Take care. Bye. Hi, this is Fraser with information on next week's Creepy Cocktail for you. Next week we'll be doing a Halloween-themed episode, and so the Creepy Cocktail will be a Vampire Kiss Martini. So you're going to want to get vodka, chambord, and champagne. Two ounces of vodka, one ounce chambord, two ounces of champagne. Pour the vodka and half the chambord in a glass, mix it together, top with champagne, and then pour the remaining chambord over the back of a spoon in a real fancy way to give yourself a little blood on top of your vampire kiss martini. That's next week's creepy cocktail. We'll see you next Thursday for that. As always, please make sure that you follow us online on social media. We're on Twitter at creepyhist, and we're on Instagram at creepyhistpod. And our music in this episode and all episodes is done by myself and my brother, Charlie Coffeen. You can follow him online at Instagram at Charlie's Keys to hear more great music from him. Thanks. See you next week.